Welcome to Don't Get in the Van. I'm Mandy. And I'm Caitlin. And today we're doing something a little different, mixing it up for you. We're both going to tell the story today. Uh, we looked up this story and we were both too excited. We could yes. not decide who got to do it, so we're doing it together. Right. And there's so much information that I think this is the perfect perfect way perfect to deliver way. this story to right well the other thing is this one's really appealing to each of us because mandy obviously teaches yoga yes and i actually have a co-worker who lived in bethesda and was eating food at a restaurant right across the street while this was happening and that's actually how i found out about the case that's right he's the one who told me and then i told mandy and we were both like oh how do we decide who does it exactly so if you guys don't know already we're doing the lululemon murder Mm -hmm. and this happened in bethesda maryland so i'm gonna get right into the details all right let's go all right we're gonna start with if anybody does not know what lululemon is it was founded in 1998 And the founder's name is Chip Wilson. And I'll get to Chip. (laughs) It was founded in Vancouver, British Columbia. And the first standalone store opened in November of 2000. Lululemon sells athletic wear, including tops, yoga pants, shorts, sweaters, jackets, undergarments. What? I had no idea. I didn't know they sold undergarments. I didn't know this either. Hair accessories. Wait, like underwear or just sports bras? Because that would make more sense. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Because never stepped foot in one of these stores before. I'm sorry, but your leggings are overpriced and I'm not that bougie. Yeah, they're real overpriced. Hair accessories, bags, yoga mats, water bottles, personal care products such as deodorant and dry shampoo. Interesting. I know. Lululemon deodorant, come on. It's $25 yeah. and it probably doesn't work. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> the company has 491 stores internationally and also has a very big online presence. So they sell online. So back to Chip Wilson. He seems to put his foot in his mouth whenever he gets the opportunity. <laughs> Chip is a total dickhead. So... Here's a couple things that Chip had to say. He believed that after the birth control pill was created, men no longer knew how to relate to the new female, which resulted in divorce. What? Yeah. The divorce rate went up, right? Okay. So ultimately, Lululemon was formed because female education levels increased because they got divorced and women took power, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, breast cancer from the pill increased. Yoga and athletics and the desire to dress feminine, all of that came together at once. So that is why he created Lululemon. Hmm. That's so weird. Yeah. I don't understand. It gets worse. In 2007, Lululemon, so Chip, falsely claimed that the clothes were made from seaweed. Oh, what? <laughs> They later had to retract their statement. (laughs) Seaweed? They're trying to, you know. What is the deal with this guy? I don't know. Seaweed? That doesn't even sound appealing. Who's going to be like, I really want to buy these leggings. They're made out of seaweed. I mean, I'll eat seaweed, but I don't want to. Yeah, maybe, but not wear it. not wear it. That's very strange. I don't know. Okay, so Chip also told Canada's National Post Business Magazine. This is so bad. It's funny to watch them try and say it, 
when asked about his views on the Japanese pronunciation of the company's name. In 2009, he wrote, It was thought that a Japanese marketing firm would not try to create a North American-sounding brand with the letter L because the sound does not exist in Japanese phonetics. By including the L in the name, it was thought that the Japanese consumer would find the name innately North American and authentic. Huh. That is so racist. Dude, he's like the biggest douchebag alive. And he doesn't care. He tells he told the National Post Business Magazine of Canada that. He's like, it's funny to see <laughs> him say it. That's horrible. Oh what God. an ass. Oh, to God. Canada's The Tie, he reported, according to those who attended this conference that they, uh, like a big conference that they all attend, he told delegates that third world children should be allowed to work in factories because it provides them with much-needed wages. Oh, my God. They also say he argued that even in Canada, there's a place for 12- and 13-year-old street youths to find work in local oh. factories as an alternative to collecting handouts. This is so cringy. He said, I look at it the same way the WTO does, and that is the that the single easiest way to spread wealth around the world is to have poor countries pull themselves out of poverty. Oh my god. So let's send your kids to work. Mm -hmm. Wilson once suggested in Bloomberg TV in a Bloomberg TV interview that some women's bodies, quote, just don't actually work for his yoga pants. They don't work for some women's bodies. It's really about rubbing the thighs, how much pressure there is over a period of time and how much they use it. You guys can't see my face right now, but my (laughs) jaw dropped. Are you kidding me? No, he said this. And I was telling my husband the other day, and he was like, I remember that. It was a huge thing. It blew up because now if you look at their website, it's very diverse with uh, nationalities and skin color and body shape. But before, all skinny white chicks. And, you know, because bigger girls, their thighs rub together too much. Oh, my God. Can you freaking believe that? This fucking guy, I swear. Yikes. All right. I, I'm. I was never gonna buy his yoga pants before, but I'm definitely never not going, going to, to buy them now. <sighs> oh wow! Late in 2011, the company began printing the phrase "Who is John Galt?" on their shopping bags. Galt is the star of Anne Rand's novel Atlas Shrugged. I've never read Atlas. I've never Shrugged. read it either. There's a movie too, right? Though. Yeah, I think so. But. W- Pretty much laissez-faire capitalism, which argues that the naked pursuit of self-interest should be society's highest ambition. He read the book when he was 18, but the company later, after he leaves, removes it from their website. They're like, this is insane. Yeah. Atlas Shrugged? What? This is like a fiction novel, right? Yeah. Why are you promoting that as... Is he getting something for that? I don't know. Oh, boy. Royalties. Yikes. In 2012... He finally resigned as the chief innovation and branding officer. Thank the Lord. Yeah. The company did not say whether the move was linked to his string of controversial headlines. (laughs) He stayed on as chairman, but his duties were taken over by a new CEO, Christine Day. He later invested $14 million in a tea company. Oh boy. Yeah. He has too much money. In March of 2013, the company sold some faulty pants. And I like how they said this. 
faulty pants that became see-through if you did the, quote, downward dog yoga position. Oh, boy. So in a downward-facing dog, yeah. they're saying you bend over your ass. Is gonna out. Show, yeah, everybody right? can see or your undies your or not lack of. Whatever's happening. Yeah. They only took 6% of their stock off the market. Lululemon then recalled more than 318,000 women's tops due to dangerous hoodie strings that could choke you. What? Yeah. What the fuck? Seaweed is not their friend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. In 2015, he finally quit his position as board member and moved to sell his entire stake in Lululemon worth more than $1 billion. Holy crap. So that ends his formal association with the company completely. So he's no longer part of it as of 2015. <laughs> Sounds good. But for a long time, it was like an actual shit show. Shit show. Yeah. yeah. Like a circus. Ooh. So where does this case that we're talking about take place? Oh, At boy. a Lululemon store in Bethesda, Maryland. And that's a very affluent suburb of Washington, D.C., This story takes place in 2011, and the demographics at that time, there are 61,000 residents, very wealthy, very well-educated area. 85% are white, 2.5% are black, 7% are Asian. There are more Asians than blacks here. That's crazy. That's weird, right? Yeah. 5% Hispanic and 5% other. Hmm. Okay. So that's where this is taking place. So I'm going to run you through our two main characters. All right. Both of these girls, or women, we're going to call them women. They are are women. (laughs) Both of these women work at the Bethesda Lululemon store. So let's start with Jaina Murray. Jaina is a 30-year-old, very dynamic personality, very close family. She has two brothers, religious upbringing. Again, very well-educated she was known as everyone's best friend. Everybody was like, Jane is my best friend. And they were like, well, she's everybody's best friend because she's so nice. And yeah. she's just like a lovely human. Fun-loving, risk-taking. She did a lot of cool stuff. Skydiving, rock climbing, trampolining, spelunking, trapezing. Spelunking. I know, right? She's a world traveler. And for her 30th birthday, she went bungee jumping. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Very athletic, loud, bubbly, life of the party. And she stood on principle and called out her friends if they like stepped over the line. So... All around, sounds like she's a good person. Not saying she mm-hmm. doesn't have any faults. We all do. But she was ultimately a really nice person. Genuine person. Genuine yeah. person. So she worked in marketing at Halliburton, which is an international oil field service company based in Houston. After she worked there for six years, she just wanted more out of life. And so she's like, I'm going to enroll in grad school. So she enrolled at Johns Hopkins University in Washington. She didn't just enroll in one master's program. She enrolled in two. Holy crap. I know. Uh, Those were business administration and communication. And at the time that this case takes place, she's 10 weeks away from graduating with two master's degrees. Wow. Which is amazing. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. She's a beast. She is. She does does so much. Yeah. Yeah. She started having an interest in Lululemon when her roommate came home with one of their red tote bags. So you guys all know what these bags looked like. They're red and white and they have a black strap and there's sayings all over them. Mm-hmm. You've seen them, right? Actually, I don't think I have. Okay. <laughs> so some of the sayings, creativity is maxed when you are living in the moment. What you do to the earth, you do to yourself. 
tons. So that's mm. when he had that. Who is John Galt? Yeah. On the bag. That makes no sense. It's right. supposed to be about taking care of yourself, taking care of the planet. There's all of these inspirational quotes on the bag. Okay. So she sees these. She's like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, and she's in business, right? So she's thinking, huh, I want to learn more about that company. So she starts to study the company for her business administration courses. And she liked the philosophy of the company. She liked that they combined it. They were combining high-end garments with high-minded ideals. She also liked the way its supporters, it supported staffers' personal, professional, and fitness goals. So one of her teachers, one of her professors was like, hey, you have such an interest in Lululemon. Why don't you get a job there? Right? Why don't you go and work for the company? And then you can get some real experience. Yeah, real time there. Yeah. yeah. And really kind of see what it's like to be inside. Mm-hmm. So she's like, yeah, that's that's a great idea. So she gets her job, but then her whole life is intertwined with that company. She ends up going to yoga. They have free yoga Sunday mornings, I guess. She used the company's free passes to fitness clubs. And she helped develop stores' social media outreach. Hmm. So she was all over the place. Yeah. She decides to write her thesis for her master's on Lululemon. She writes a media plan recommending that the founder, Chip, <laughs> and its new CEO, Christine, take special media training in New York City. She also wrote a crisis communication plan that would go into effect if the company had an in-store disaster. Oh, wow. Just very... Talk about full circle here. Mm-hmm. Another thing about Jaina here, she, she has a long-term boyfriend. She's been with him for a very, very, very long time. His name is Frazier, and he lives in Seattle. And after she receives her master's degree in 10 weeks in May, she plans to drive across the country to to go to Seattle and to be with her boyfriend. She also hopes that she can join Lululemon's top management team in Vancouver, which is only two and a half hours away from Seattle. Hmm. So she still wants to... Work at that company. company. Yeah, she's like all for it. Okay, now I'm going to tell you guys about our second main character here. Her name is Brittany Norwood. Brittany is 29, very athletic. She's a former soccer player, but she's also like super small and petite, and but she's toned and fit. People are like, she's a beast, you know? Yeah. She's tiny, but she's like a powerhouse. She again comes from a very close family. But a larger family. Four sisters, four brothers. So she's one of nine wow. children. That's a lot of kids. Her parents really liked each other. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or just really wanted kids. I don't know. But yeah, one of the two. Yeah. And, again, religious, well-educated. The two families had a lot in common. She always was laughing and smiling. She always had her hair done, her nails done, her clothes looked sharp. She liked the best food, the best drink, and... Her closet was immaculate, they said. She's like, I'm a neat freak. So she's really all about her appearance and just keeping things in order, it seems. She worked at Lululemon in Bethesda for only a month when this case takes place. Okay. Because she was transferred from the Georgetown location after she and other employees took advantage of the once-a-year employee discount. So they went tremendously over what they were supposed to do. Oh. So say you get a $1,000 limit. She went way over. Should they get a once a year discount? Once a year discount. So Lululemon, from what I know from research, they don't give discounts really. 
So oh. once a year... They get one. They get one. And they have to wear their clothes. So. Yeah, well, and their stuff is so expensive. Like, yeah, how are you supposed to afford to wear their shit in the right. store? Right. Like, Yeah, exactly. Without, like, really? They don't give yeah. them, like, a clothing, like... I feel like, like an allowance I feel something? like they should get an allowance, yeah. At least, like, you know, buy, buy yearly or something so right. that they can, like keep up appearances to work there. Right. I mean, Whatever. there could be something at this point, I don't know, but yeah. at this time in 2011, they had this employee discount. And she and a couple other people went overboard. Big time. They were fired. <gasps> she made a huge stink about it, and so did a couple other people. She was rehired. So oh. they said, okay, you can be rehired, but you, you're not going to work at the store. We have to move you. That's why she's over at Bethesda. Bethesda. So she's using this job as a stepping stone because her friend Nora did the same thing. She started working at Lululemon. She took a job as a personal trainer at this place called Equinox. And it's a luxury gym. It's just around the corner. It's a very high, you know, wealthy, affluent, affluent area. And she's like, I want to be a personal trainer there. And she actually got her first interview, and it's going to be in a couple of days. Okay. So she's like, yes, I'm going to move on up in this career, right? Right. Two days before this case that you're going to talk about right. happens, Brittany had been the subject of a meeting at Lululemon with the leadership team, so the managers, and Gina is one of the managers. She had been stealing cash and personal items from her coworkers, and Rachel, the store manager had figured out that all of the stolen items were taken during Britney's shifts, shifts at the store. You know, if you think about it, it's not that hard. If no, somebody's it's like, not that hey, hard to figure out. Friday my shit got taken, and then you're like, oh, who was working? Brittany. Yeah. Okay, Wednesday, oh, Brittany. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. it, there has to be a commonality, right? Right. So they needed some concrete evidence because Rachel had contacted headquarters, and she's like, okay, we got to get her out of here. She's, you know, and they were like, okay, we cannot get rid of her, especially after she was already fired and rehired. And rehired, and yeah. It's and made drama, a whole stink. Made it's a big too much. stink. Yeah. And we cannot get rid of her until you have some concrete evidence. We're not just going to say, hey, things are missing and we think you did it. Yeah. So the girls talked about maybe hiding a secret camera since their stores do not have security cameras, but it did not come to fruition. Too bad. Brittany had a bit of a history with stealing, and when she moved from Seattle to Long Island after high school, her trajectory of bad decisions and stealing began. When she entered college, she was a star athlete for the Stony Brook Seawoods soccer team, and on this team, though, she was the star of the team, but then she was also known as the thief of the team. Her teammates said she would steal money and clothing, but clothing was a big thing. Hmm. She was on an athletic scholarship to be at this college, to play soccer for four years, but she was finally kicked off the team, and she never received her college degree because of her stealing, Ugh. which is such a bummer. Yeah. After she moved to Washington, D.C., her deviant behavior continued, and this is what her court record includes. She was sued for failure to pay rent. She uh, did not appear in court for failing to pay a speeding ticket. She has a judgment placed against her regarding $20,000 in unpaid student loans. Oh, boy. 
a hairdresser actually blogged about Britney once because she ordered really expensive imported hair to get a full weave. But when the time came to pay, she said that her money that she had in her wallet was stolen. And oh so she couldn't God. pay for her services. Oh, so, so she let her get it all done and do everything. And I don't then... even think she, I don't know if she did it or, she probably did actually, if you think about it, because you go, you get your hair done, then you yeah, pay. Yeah, you pay at the end. Yeah, yeah, you don't pay at the beginning. Right. She definitely went and got that expensive ass weave done and then said, She's I couldn't like, pay I don't at have the my end. Money. Yeah, someone stole oh it. Yikes. In 2007, Brittany is said to have broken up with her boyfriend, a Washington dentist that they, that she'd been seeing for 18 months. They had a stormy relationship. And he complained in court documents that she would, quote, punch, push, and throw things. After they broke up, Brittany continued calling this dentist, and he doesn't have a name. They did not give you a name. The dentist and his new girlfriend. He probably doesn't want to be associated. I don't think that he does. He said that she, quote, seemed to not understand that the relationship was over. Even though she broke up with him. Yes. (laughs) Okay. All came to a head when she came into their house. Because, you know, he did not change the locks. Oh, no. Got to change the locks, dude. And she has no sense of um, privacy or Mm -hmm. uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, Personal space. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She still had keys and the alarm code. Oh, boy. So she let herself in, shut off the alarm. The girlfriend said that Brittany stole her Movado watch, a Lacoste shirt, Vera Wang perfume, Diamond earrings, checks from her checkbook, and oh. and her car keys. Why would you steal checks? You can't use what those. Are you going to do get with caught. the che- And what are you going to? You going to steal the car? What do you need the car keys for? <laughs> she probably just wanted to make her life miserable. She's like, I can't find my keys, you know. And then you oh. never have your keys, and keys are super expensive. expensive. Like a fob that's like five hundred dollars. Yeah, stupid expensive. Oh boy. Ooh. So he and his girlfriend said that they feared for their safety. And they filed a restraining order that required Brittany to stay away from them and to seek counseling for anger management and psychiatric evaluation. Wow. A temporary restraining order was served to Brittany, and she signed it. But within two weeks, she violated it. Of course. The couple saw Brittany watching them from her car in the alley behind his office. And when they left the office, she followed them to an office depot. What the hell? Stalker much? Yeah. They called the police and they filed another complaint. And Brittany was ordered to a contempt hearing, but that was postponed twice. And then in May 2008, an arrest warrant was issued for her, but it was never carried out. And the D.C. Superior Court, they said that such orders are not executed by police Unless another complaint is filed. So you need three complaints to actually to get actually her in trouble. So her, her third complaint could be, you know, yeah. she goes crazy, I, right? I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. She ran him off the road or something. Mm-hmm. And if she'd been sent to jail in 2008, maybe that would have changed what we're about to, to tell you dive about. into. Based, there's a couple more things about Brittany. Oh, God. Based on Brittany's text messages found in her cell phone, Prosecutors, for the case we're going to talk about, believe she was involved in prostitution. Oh, boy. They also discovered a posting on Craigslist offering her, quote, personal services. When evidence was being collected at the scene of the crime, there was a subway fare card that belonged to Jaina, 
but there was also one that belonged to a prostitution counseling group. Oh. Yeah. So maybe she was seeking help Help for that? Yeah, I'm not sure. All right. So this is going to bring us up to the point where I'm going to talk about their interaction together, and then Caitlin's going to take it away with what happens. Yes. So on the first Friday shift Jaina ever worked with Brittany... Three staffers were supposed to be working, but they were super shorthanded, and it could only be Jaina and Brittany. So they're working a Friday evening at Lululemon, and Jaina had never actually worked a Friday evening, but she had switched with one of her coworkers who wanted to leave for an early weekend at the beach with her boyfriend. So Jaina's like, sure, extra money, go have fun with your boyfriend, it's all good. Uh, the evening goes on. They lock the front door because they're like, okay, time to go. They lock the front door. They start the closing routine. And part of that also is shutting down cash registers. And once those are shut down, they're shut down for the night until like the next morning. Right before they leave the store, so Jaina as a manager, I've worked in a store like this before. Jaina as a manager has to check the bag of the other associate. So she, Brittany has to check her bag. She has to check Brittany's Brittany's bag. bag. So Brittany checks her bag. We're good. Jaina checks Brittany's bag. She's like, hey, there's a pair of yoga pants in there and the tags are on it. So, did you buy these? And she's she's like, yeah, I bought them earlier today from a coworker. And so, Jaina's like, okay, well, we can't open the cash register. We can't look at our transactions for the day because we shut it down already. So, I guess I'll call that coworker you're talking about. So, she calls and the coworker's like, no, I didn't sell her any pants. All right. So, now Jaina's like, ha. Mm-hmm. Remember they had that meeting? They're yeah. like, she's a thief. Let's ca- catch her doing something. She's like, I got her, man. So she tells Brittany, she's like, you know, we have to deal with this. And I'm going to have to tell Rachel, the store manager. And so it's it's not the best news for Brittany. She can't get in trouble again, right? But it's what it is. She did it. So they close up the store. They leave. Jana gets in her car and she calls Rachel, the store manager. And she's like, hey, we got her. Brittany totally stole some yoga pants. So they're super excited. They're like, ha we caught her red-handed, right? Like, thank goodness. Now we can stop with all of this craziness that keeps happening. So they get off the phone. Jane is driving home, and her phone rings again. And this time it's Brittany. And Brittany said she left her wallet at the store, and she needed to go back. Jaina had forgotten her laptop because she had come in earlier to work on her laptop. And she's like, okay, I forgot my laptop too, so it's totally cool. Like, I'll head back to the store. So then she's like, all right. I need to call Rachel. I have to tell her. I'm going to open the store again, let her know what's happening. But Rachel didn't answer the phone. Brittany had about 20 minutes between the time they left and the time that they come back to the store to really think about what had been happening. And, you know, that she stole a pair of yoga pants and for like caught. $100 and got caught. Brittany knew Jana was going to tell Rachel. And Brittany had already been fired once, as I said. And if she was fired again, her chances of getting that job as a personal trainer. At Equinox or whatever. Yeah, at Equinox are yeah. like going out the window. So at 10.05 p.m., Jana opens the front door to Lululemon. And she turns off the alarm. And now it's your turn. Okay. All right. So next door to Lululemon is an Apple store. And it's 10 p.m. on March 11th, which is the same day Mandy was just telling you about. There's a girl named Yana Sverzo, 
I'm not really sure how to say her last name. She was closing up for the night after the launch of the new iPad 2. So this just dates all of us right now. Like, you remember <laughs> when the iPad 2 came out? I think I have um, iPad 2. <laughs> yeah, it was like the day that the iPad 2 came out and it was a crazy day. So to her right, she hears what sounds like high-pitched yelps and squeals and low-pitched grunts thuds and a dragging noise as if something heavy is being moved. That's concerning. Yes. So Yana thinks that maybe they could be coming from the rear, um, like the rear room in the, in in the Apple store or, uh, maybe the back exit upstairs. You know, there's still technicians working on duty upstairs. So she asked one of the security guards if they'll help her search. So her and the guard split up about two minutes later, they both make it upstairs And they spoke with another manager, Ricardo Rios. The guard said that it sounded like a lady was screaming and they checked the technician's room and it was all clear. So they walk down the stairs to the sales floor and hear more yelling. They realize that it sounds like it's coming from Lululemon. They shared a wall with Lululemon and Gina and Ricardo kind of walk over to the wall and they're kind of listening and they can hear, I said Gina, her name's Yana, my bad. (laughs) The names are so- Very, very similar. The names are so close. Um, so Yana and Ricardo walk over close to the wall and they can hear someone saying, talk to me, don't do this, talk to me, what's going on? Then she heard what sounded like a different voice, maybe that one that had just been screaming and now it was quicker. God help me, please help me. So Ricardo also can hear the voice of the one saying, talk to me, but he couldn't really make out the words of the second one. They were pretty muffled. They were covered by a lot of crying and panting, um, as if the woman was like trying to catch her breath. So Ricardo knocks on the wall and shouts, what's going on? Just like trying to get somebody's attention, you know? Um, Yana suggests that they call the cops and Ricardo says that it's up to her, but he thinks that it's a private matter and tells Yana that it sounded like one person had just heard like tragic news or something and the other one is just trying to get her to talk about it. He thinks it's just drama. Gotcha. So then Ricardo goes back upstairs because he's like, I'm not worried about this. It's around 1019, which is about eight minutes after Yana first heard noises. Wilbert Hawkins, which was one of the two security guards that had been observing the commotion as well, also is not super concerned. He says that he figured that the crashing sounds could have been merchandise displays falling over and yelling of some kind was just like people horsing around next door. <laughs> so he's really not thinking this sounds threatening. He's not worried about it and either. And he's security. He's secured. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yana hears the noises and they're getting more faint. So outside on the streets, things had slowed down, but there were definitely still people walking around out there. Um, you know, I mean, it's a busy, nice neighborhood on a yeah. Friday night. Like, people are out there. Right. So they're just thinking, like, there's no way anything too crazy is going on. Like, people are on the street. You know what I mean? Like, our store, their store, everything has, like, big windows. Like, there's yeah. no way anything sinister is happening next door. Like, it probably is just drama. Okay. They don't think much of it. She just lets it go. Ricardo left at 10.56, and Yana finished about 10 minutes later, walked downstairs. She says that when she walked out the front door, the restaurant to the left was still open, which I'm assuming is the restaurant my friend friend was was eating at. Um, And the Lululemon store to the right was closed, and it was all dark inside. So it looked like... So she's like, okay, it's closed. Yeah, she's like, it's closed. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever, everything's good. So the next morning, March 12th, 2011, the manager, Rachel arrives at work shortly before 8 a.m. and goes to open the door and realizes that it's unlocked. 
So she's like, that's concerning. She's like, that's weird because Yana closed or Jana closed last night, and she's part of she the would not, team. She yeah. would not leave the door unlocked. So this is weird. So she walks in. She kind of looks around and she realizes that the store is in complete disarray. And it looks like it's been vandalized. So she starts walking around and realizes that she's walking over bloody footprints, which are scattered everywhere. So she's freaking out. She hears a noise coming from the back of the store, and it almost sounds like a low moaning noise. So she immediately runs back out the door and calls 911. She's like, fuck this. Yeah. So she gets outside. Outside on the street. This is day two of the Apple iPad 2 coming out. So there's still a shit ton of people lined up outside Apple, like, waiting to get in. There's an Apple customer named Ryan Hoff, I think is how you say his name. He notices her panic and, and overhears her talking on the phone. I hear someone moaning in the back, and it looks like it's been vandalized. I'm just really scared to go in. He realizes she'd called 911. And she tells them her name, the store address, and gets off the phone. She turns and kind of looks at him and then asks him if he's seen anyone go in and out of the store that morning. Um, he says that he hasn't and asks if she'd liked him to go in with her. That's and nice. she's like, would you Would you mind? Um, and so he does. So they walk in together. He walks towards the back and Rachel kind of stays at the front because she's like, she's I'm totally not. Worked out. Yeah, she's not doing that. So he starts calling out, anybody here? Anybody here? No response. He notices scattered bloodstains on the floor, and they start to get a lot thicker the farther back that you go, towards the back of the store. Okay. So he notices a bunch of blood at the bottom of a purple door at the very back of the store, which looks like it had kind of, like, seeped out from the backside, like there was a lot of blood on the other side of the door. Yikes. So he pushes the door open, and it hits the side of a body. So he looks in, and he sees a pair of legs sticking out from a body that's face down and surrounded by a lot more blood god he reaches down to touch it and there's no movement so he calls back out to rachel there's somebody back here it looks like they're dead he heads back Uh to the front of yeah so he heads back to the front of the store and he notices that there's two bathrooms off to his right that he hadn't noticed on his way in both the doors are open and he can actually see another pair of legs which are bound at the ankles just kind of like sticking out of one of the doorways He's like, what did I walk into? Yeah, so he yells back to Rachel again. He's like, there's somebody else back here. He goes to- he goes towards the body and realizes that her hands are bound above her head and her face is super bloody. He asks her if she's okay and she just kind of like lets out a small moan. Okay. So Rachel rushes outside and calls 911 again. Some of the other Apple customers are, like, overhearing her conversation. One person seems dead and the other person is breathing. Someone tied her up. Moments later, the police arrive. An officer jumps out of the car, tells everyone to get back, draws his gun, and just, like, rushes into the store. Right. So all these Apple customers are watching. And they're they're just like, what the hell? Moments later, they wheel out a woman on a stretcher covered in a blanket who's just, like, writhing in pain. And some of them said that they could see blood. On her face. So they're all like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, we're just waiting for our Holy <laughs> shit. You know, they're like, they were like waiting for gunshots or something. And then oh, they yeah. just see a body come out. And they're like, oh my God, what is happening? So when the cops went in, they found Brittany Norwood bound at her ankles and her wrists on the floor of the women's bathroom. It appeared the assailants had used zip ties to tie her up. She's wearing white footy style socks that were stained with blood. Black yoga pants that had been torn open at the crotch. And a bright striped sports bra style top. Okay. 
Something was twisted around her neck and her face was caked with dried blood. On the tile floor next to her head was a white rock about the size of like if you like smash a baseball. Okay. It was kind of like the size of that. And it's just like sitting in a streak of blood. A rock? A rock. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's like it, it's, it's like, like the size of a flattened okay, baseball. Gotcha. Um, when they advanced to the back of the store, they found uh, the body, who is Jaina. But at this point, they've not identified her yet. Right. So they find her face down in the middle of a thick pool of blood that still looked super shiny. Um, so she bled out a lot. Yeah. Um, the walls and the metal bookshelf are heavily splattered with blood, which ran across the floor in streaks. I Those mean, pictures it's, are horrible. Yeah, it's like an insane sight. It's overwhelming. So beneath the bloody matted hair on her head, there seemed to be a large open gash on the back of her head. There were two ends of a rope kind of like sticking out either side of her neck. Um, and a red toolbox was like resting on her shoulder and the back of her pants had been cut open. So back at the hospital, Brittany is telling cops that two masked men in all black had slipped into the store after closing the night before and had attacked her and her coworker. The main detective on the case was Jim Drury. So he starts questioning Rachel, uh, who tells him that the store closes at 9 p.m. on Fridays and employees would clean up and get the store ready for the next day. She told him that Brittany and Jaina had closed the night before and that Jaina had actually called her shortly before 10 p.m. from her car. Um, They had a conversation about the bag checks. Right. And um, basically she explains to him what bag checks are because he's unfamiliar with it. Yeah. Uh, she suspected Brittany of stealing the yoga pants. And so Rachel had also heard from other coworkers that Brittany had accidentally left her wallet in the store when they closed and called Jaina to let her back in. And because Jaina was the supervisor, she's right. the one that has the key. Um, so he then speaks to Ryan and he tells them that he went in, saw stuff knocked over, blood on the floor, broken glass, Opened the purple door to the rear of the store, saw a body face down on the floor, and that there was a girl in the bathroom floor as well. Inside the store, detectives are starting to make notes of the scene. They're, like, looking around. They're starting to write everything down. The store was broken up into four main areas. So there's the front merchandise area with the checkout counter. There's a large fitting room area beyond that that has bathrooms across from it. And then in the back, there's a purple door at the rear and that kind of leads to an emergency exit and then there's a stock room off to the other side okay so those are kind of like the four main quadrants in this store so in the front section of the store where the merchandise and everything are everything's mostly in order but the cops are noticing that there's two mannequins had been knocked over one of the mannequins had a hand that had come apart and was just kind of like resting on the ground like eight feet away from it so huh. clearly something something happened. has happened, yeah, because a hand doesn't just fly off. You know what I <laughs> Usually mean? Usually not. Not normally. There's blood drops scattered all over the floor, and you can see faint shoe prints that lead to the front door. It was hard to tell where they went from there. There had been at least a dozen people walking through them that morning between the medics, you know, like, you know, everybody had been walking in there at this yeah. point. So there's no way to really know. There was an obvious dry shoe print that he was able to get a photograph of for evidence, though. That's so at good. least one that he's able to find that he's like, oh, you can totally see what this is. Right. I'm marking this. So he catalogs it. The safe behind the register was open, and there are receipts all over the floor. And as he walks around a display rack, he notices that there's a flat screen TV that had been knocked over, and it's just kind of like resting on its back on the floor. 
Um, that's a lot of disaster in there. Yeah. I mean, that's like TB. Well, and you're going to hear, I'm going to go through all of this because I yeah. really want you guys to like understand the scene that they walked mm-hmm. into and what they're seeing. So I may have done too much, but you guys but are going to hear it all. It's so <laughs> important because it is a, it is an insane. A whirlwind case. Yeah. yeah. It's insane. So there's also a black bag, which appeared to have been dropped suddenly, and it had uh, a couple contents kind of like spilling out of it. So there was a white candle, a tube of lip balm, and a pair of headphones, just kind of like, you know, just coming out of the bag. Dumped out of the bag. Mm -hmm. There's also clothes and green water bottles just kind of scattered about. Okay. Um, The fitting area, which was surrounded by full-length mirrors, had changing areas and two bathrooms, there was a partial bloody palm print on the wall kind of in the corner okay. near the bathrooms. There's also bloody footprints just like crisscrossing each other all over the floor. Yeah, wasn't it just... It just like they, made they, no were liter- they were literally everywhere. It yeah. made no sense. Um, in the bathroom where Brittany was found, they noted blood and rocks on the floor. There were some blood drops in the sink near the drain and a smudge of blood across the mirror. There was a severed zip tie, which most likely came from Brittany when the paramedics came to get her. Yeah. On the floor just outside of the bathroom was a wooden coat hanger, a bottle of Windex, used paper towels, and a knocked over, like, Buddha statue that appeared to be about 10 inches tall. So, I mean, that's a decent-sized statue. And it's probably, was it, did it say what it was made out of? Um, they, they didn't say, but they said it was really solid. So, so it must like have a, been like heavy. a bronze statue, probably? Maybe, or wood. Yeah. I don't know. Um, oh, cause I have some of those statues and those really heavy, like brass or bronze ones. Those yeah. are heavy. That's like a murder weapon right there. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. That's why it's way up at the top of a shelf. Oh yeah. Like where nobody can get to it yeah. or hurt themselves with it. So in the rear stock room, there's shelves and racks just kind of lined in all different directions. It's creating a lot of blind spots. Okay. So the detectives are, like, really glad that somebody already went in there and cleared it. Because they were, like, literally anybody could just be crouching in here, yeah. like, ready to pounce on me. Exactly. Um, the floor is covered with bloody shoe tracks, of course, because everything is. In the back part of the room was an office with a desktop computer. And uh, there's, like, a white laptop closed on top of the filing cabinet. That's and probably Jana's, right? Right. And the desktop computer is on. Back in the main stock room near a wall and off to kind of the side of a chair was a cream-colored women's wallet. They open it up and inside they find Brittany Norwood's license. Um, To the right on the floor, the bloody shoe tracks were heavier and more concentrated, starting to head toward the kitchenette. All right. In the kitchenette was a small sink, a refrigerator, and a microwave. On the floor was another bottle of Windex, a bottle of Formula 409, and a lime green scrub scrub brush. Above the sink was a foot-long serrated knife laying across two hooks. And it had, like, a really weird, like, curved gray handle. Like, it almost looked like... Like a hook? Like one of those weird... Yeah, it was almost like a weird fishing hook kind okay. of a situation. But then it had, like, a normal long serrated blade coming off of it. It was okay. a really weird looking knife. Just an knife. interesting way to hold it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. But also just, like, what the fuck is this knife doing in this store? Like, what could they possibly need this for? I don't know. It was a right. weird looking... It was an yeah. interesting weird looking knife. Okay. Maybe we can... Hopefully we can find a picture. And, yeah, Well, I've sure. seen pictures, so I'll try to get it to you so you can post okay, it. Okay, cool. But very interesting looking knife. And the blade is, like, super shiny and clean. As if it's just been cleaned. Like, or it's brand new or something. Yeah. So about 10 feet from there, towards the entrance of the stock room, was a royal blue Lululemon Athletica gym bag. 
So inside the bag are computer cords, a digital camera, a tangerine, a bottle of Argentinian wine, and a book called The Leadership Pipeline, How to Build the Leadership-Powered Company. Okay. There was also a brown wallet with a Johns Hopkins University student ID and a Texas driver's license, both with the name Jane M. Ray on them. The detective noted that there was no keys or cash in the bag. All right. So then back at the hospital, yeah. offers, uh, <laughs> officers collected Brittany's clothes for evidence. All of her clothes were bloody and her pants were ripped and slashed in multiple places. They also noted that uh, when they rolled her over on her side, there were several pieces of blood-stained glass just, like, stuck to her back. Oh. Okay. So, Not in her, just stuck No, just, to like, her. stuck to her. So, like, they had broken and she'd, like, laid on them. You know what I mean? Gotcha. They were just, like, stuck yeah. to her. So, the detective at the hospital takes notes of her wounds. She had an inch-long laceration between her thumb and her forefinger on her right hand. Numerous lacerations on her chest, stomach, back, and legs. And also what appeared to be defensive wounds, maybe, on her hand. Um, Detective Mackey sits down to question her. Um, and she's like, we want to kind of figure out what's going on, what we can do to help you. I know you've been through a lot. And Brittany replies asking if she could tell her how her friend is doing. And she replied that she hadn't been down to the scene yet. She told her she'd check and on her when they were all when they were like done talking. Right. Brittany asked, "Do you have? Do I have to talk right now?" And the detective said, "You don't have to. We can't make you. But if it's something that you can tell us that will help us find who did this, you know, that's really important to us and to find these people." Right. Exactly. So she responded, "If you want, you can just ask me questions." Which I'm kind of like, really? You're okay. just going to tell them they can just ask you questions? You're not going to, like, willingly give them information without them asking? And if there's people that have attacked you, don't you want them to be found? You would think, I, I right? I think, right? So Brittany tells her that she and Jaina had been the only two employees working late the night before. They had both left the store at 9.45. Brittany walked towards the nearby subway station, and Jaina headed in the opposite direction towards her car. A few minutes later, Brittany realized that she forgot her wallet, so she called Jaina on her cell phone and asked if she could come back and let her in. Jaina told Brittany that she'd left her laptop as well, uh, so she didn't mind coming back. They met outside and went in and deactivated the alarm, but they didn't lock the front door behind them because they thought they would just be, like, in and out. Once they got inside, two men covered head to toe in dark clothes with gloves and ski masks with narrow slits for the eyes and hoodies over their heads slipped in behind them. They unleashed a brutal attack on the two women. One was about six feet tall and dragged Jaina by her hair as she screamed for help. The shorter one was around 5'3". He threw Brittany to the ground, knocking her bag to the floor, and he demanded, where's the money, and made her open the safes in front of the store. Then forced her back to the rear of the store where he tied her up and raped her, at one point also violating her with a wooden hanger. Yikes. Mm-hmm. He struck her in the forehead hard enough to make it hard for her to remember much of what had happened next. Okay. She said she never saw the skin color of the assailants, but that they sounded like young white men. The detectives then interviewed Yana Sverzo, the lady who worked the at the Apple store, mm -hmm. who told them that she had heard screaming the night before around 10 p.m. and it seemed to be coming from the yoga store next door. There were also other sounds like dragging and something heavy hitting the ground. She said that she heard parts of what sounded like two women's voices. One said, talk to me, don't do this, stop, oh God. And the other, the voices, 
And the other said, oh God, the voices would rise and fall and she couldn't really make out everything. She didn't hear any male voices though. She asked him what had happened and he told her that someone had been killed. So she started sobbing because now she realizes now that she, she realizes. fucked up. Right. I hope that that weighs on her for the rest of her life. Right. I think it probably will. I'm sure. So a patrolman found Jaina's car, which was a silver Pontiac, parked about three blocks away in a lot behind the farmer's market. So soon after, Officer John Tyranny contacts Detective Drury and tells him he'd seen the car parked in the lot at 12.30 a.m. with someone sitting behind the wheel. What time was this? Sorry. This was 12.30 a.m. Okay. So he said he'd worked an overnight shift just after midnight. He eased his patrol car through the parking lot, looking around just for anything out of the ordinary, as cops do. Right. And he took note of a silver Pontiac parked headfirst into a spot. And the only reason he took note of this is because the headlights were on. He said he drove by the backside of the car around 5, 10 miles per hour and saw the car had Texas plates. There was something sitting in the driver's seat. He said he wasn't sure if the person was a man or a woman. He said he'd considered stopping his cruiser and talking to the driver, but at the time it just didn't seem like a big deal, so he didn't waste his time. Some people do strangely sit with their lights on, and I never get that. Yeah. But yeah. So he was familiar with the county's restrictions on smoking inside bars and restaurants, Mm -hmm. and he just kind of figured it was somebody grabbing a smoke in a cold night, you know, just like hanging out in the car. So two hours after spotting the car, he drove through the parking lot again, Mm -hmm. and again sees the car with its lights on. He said he didn't notice if anyone was behind the wheel or not, Uh, At that point. So then about an hour later, he returns to the lot again. The Pontiac is still there, but this time the lights are off and there's definitely nobody inside. So somebody was definitely inside for a couple of hours. A long time. Mm -hmm. So Detective Craig Wittenberger, the sergeant who was supervising the case, had a hunch at Mm -hmm. this point. Yeah. For him, Brittany's story is not adding up. For starters, the phone conversation about the possible theft between Rachel and Jaina about Brittany, at the very least, said something about her character and shed some doubt on her reliability as a credible witness. Um, There was also the thing about the men wearing ski masks and her saying she couldn't see what race they were. But as we we all know, yeah, ski masks generally show like somewhat of skin skin. tone around. So there's no way they just had these ones that were like perfectly cut around their (laughs) eyes where you couldn't see skin tone. Like it doesn't make any sense. Such a good point. He's like, this makes no sense. Yep. Also, probably the most troubling to him is the photographs of Brittany's wounds. The -hmm. bloody cut to her forehead did look pretty serious, but the long superficial cuts across her back thighs, stomach, and breasts appeared to be the same depth as if she hadn't moved or struggled at all while they were inflicted. Right. And who does that? Exactly. He thought maybe whatever happened the night before, Brittany somehow had something to do with it. He suspected that she knew the robbers and maybe helped them get into the store, but then maybe things got out of hand. And so she came up with a cover story that included injuring herself. Okay. It's a good start, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So he realizes how explosive this could be if he's wrong. So he's like, "Mm, I'm just going to wait until Mm -hmm. we have more evidence and see kind of what's going on because I really don't want to bring this up right now. Right. Um, So around 1.45 p.m., detectives are finally ready to examine the back room. They waited. They wanted to make it the last thing that they did. They wanted to canvas the rest of the store until they finally went back there because they knew how much blood was back there. And they didn't want to tamper with any of the scene or the evidence. Right. So they wait until the very last minute. 
when they opened the back door, they noted there was blood smeared on the inner push bar. On the right side of the bar, they saw a key inserted into the lock to deactivate the fire alarm. Oh. So they looked down the hallway, and they could see dried, bloody footprints coming towards them that stopped at the doorway, but there were no tracks outside on the pavement. Which is is weird. weird. Unless you take your shoes off. Right. That's strange. So this led them to believe that maybe the assailants had exited through the front door, which also seems weird because there's people on the street. Why would they go out the front door? So they're like, they're like, this is interesting. So they take note of that. And they wouldn't have known that there were no security cameras. Right. And there probably are security cameras around the area. Unless there's somebody who worked with Brittany, like was working with Brittany and she told them there were no cameras. Because remember the one cop at this point's like, hmm feel like she has something to do with it so everybody's wheels are turning at this point exactly so they step into the hallway and they had a clear line of sight to the body it was about 15 feet away and the walls around her are just covered in blood splatters um he said there was trash bags on the floor obviously like ready and waiting to be taken out to the dumpster they noticed the bags were transparent which is another anti-theft practice that retail uses to keep employees from like hiding things and sneaking oh. them out of the store in which i never actually knew I that did not that know makes that. so much sense it makes a lot of sense uh-huh so there were column there were columns of cardboard boxes and all of them are like labeled and stamped lululemon on them they're stacked all the way up to the ceiling and on the floor next to one of them is a blackberry cell phone which appears to have either been turned off or disabled Okay. The little, like, scroll button in the center mm-hmm. is popped out. So it clearly, oh. like, fell. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was damaged to it, it for sure. Exactly. So one of the detectives notices there's a box of zip ties amongst the boxes mm. stacked against the wall. Okay. The victim had a red open wound on the back of her head. It seemed about four inches across and had come uh, most likely from repeated repeated blows to the head. Yeah. The sheer volume of blood splatters on the wall was absolutely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Looking down at Jaina's body, they could see that her right arm was crossed underneath her, coming out on the left side, suggesting that she'd been face up at some point during the attack and then been rolled over. Mm -hmm. Resting on her left hand was a Buddha statue similar to the green one they'd seen near the bathroom. They also noted other weapons near her head. Rope claw hammer with blood on the handle Uh, a wrench and three box cutters there was also a blood spattered dyson vacuum cleaner and a red metal toolbox labeled with masking tape everyday tools just like laying across her left arm other items were scattered near her head two paintbrushes a roll of duct tape and a bicycle reflector which detectives thought could have just rolled out of the toolbox At this point, detectives still haven't formally identified the victim as Jaina, but it definitely seems that that's who this is. Right. Um, They released to the media the description of the two masked assailants in hopes that they would get some potential witnesses or tips or something. Something, Anything, yeah. Inside the store, the forensic investigator had arrived and started photographing Jaina's body and removed the items against and around her. They lifted her body and moved her into the main part of the store to have more room to kind of like work around her. Um, they'd covered the windows with paper and everything, so nobody could thank see. God. Yeah, nobody could see in, um, obviously. Yeah, thank <laughs> well, God. You know. So, while examining the body, they noted a few things. So, her nails were chewed down, and there were clumps of hair that had been removed from her fingers. Um, there were cuts and bruises on the backs of her hands and dried blood all over them. At the base of her neck were two significant stab wounds. Ugh. 
And when they lifted her shirt, there was another wound in her, like, in the middle of her back. Um, When they turned her over, her face had deep gashes and gouges, way too many for them to count, crisscrossing her forehead, cheeks, lips, and chin. Her face was so badly bruised and bloody, it had started turning purple, and she was completely unrecognizable. That's so horrible. They decided to take her body out the back door so they could avoid all that crowd outside. And they were, like, knowing at this point that they haven't informed the families yet. And they're like, we don't want anybody to see this shit on the media. So we're going to take her out the back door where they can have, like, some cover. Um, The Apple Store employees had also given them surveillance footage from the night before of the parking lot behind the stores. Um, So while watching this footage, they discovered... That just after 11 p.m., two men suddenly appeared from the left side of the screen, walking towards the right. One looked to be about six feet tall, and the other was shorter. They were both dressed head to toe in black clothing. So maybe that's them. Maybe. You can't see Lululemon's back door, though. You can just see that they're coming from that direction. You can't see if they come out of it or not. Um, One had a knit cap. And it was kind of, like, rolled up, kind of like a burglar would do when they're, oh, like, yeah. once they get in somewhere and they, like, roll it up so they can mm-hmm. see, you know. Um, he couldn't see their faces, but one of them was talking on a cell phone and the other one had a backpack and they were moving pretty quickly. Okay. And was one short and one tall? Yes. So, um, the next morning, they began the autopsy and the medical examiner suggested that Jaina probably reached for her forehead reflexively um, after receiving, like, the first couple blows to her head. And this is most likely why her hair was tangled up in her hands. God. She most likely tried to shield herself, but the blows just kept coming. Yeah. The killer or killers probably used the rope late in the attack, possibly after she'd fallen to the ground. There were rope fibers on her hands as well, suggesting that she was able to, like, get her hands under the rope and loosen it even when she was dying. So it was around her neck. Like tied, yeah. yeah. But neck. there was like a, a like a rope burn on her chin and on her neck. So oh. clearly, she had been able to get her hands in there and kind yeah, of like, and like move it. it. Yeah. Um, they examined the open wound on the back of her head and they counted thirteen fractures, God. which had caused a portion of her skull to actually cave into her brain. Uh. They compared the area with her forehead, which was gouged with similar patterns, but it hadn't caused any fractures. And the doctors noted. That the front of Jaina's skull was unusually thick, which is probably why it wasn't fractured and, like, caved in like the back of her head was. Interesting. Okay. The doctors had found more than 200 injuries to Jaina's face, head, and neck, and more than 100 to her hands, arms, and shoulders. They also counted at least five wound, five different wound patterns, um, suggesting that at least five different weapons had been used. That's insane. Yeah. And there were quarter-inch circles that were surrounded by smaller circles on Jaina's hands and skull. There were two rope burn injuries, one to her throat and one to her chin. They also noted that there was blood in the wound paths, suggesting she'd still been alive for all of them. That's so horrible. Because it's just like, you know what I mean? It's still coming out and it's traveling. Um, Which is just absolutely insane. That's 300 injuries. Uh, um, Just incredible. So, the worst of the injuries was a stab wound at the base of her skull, and the opening measured one inch one inch long and only, like, a sixteenth of an inch wide. Oh. So, this is, like, a small... Yeah. It's like an ice pick. Something really thing. small, or, or maybe a, um, a screwdriver or something. Or scissors. Which they found yeah. those things around her mm-hmm. head, so who knows. Um, 
it said they were thinking maybe a thin knife of some kind had mm-hmm. actually gone deep enough um, to chip off a piece of vertebrae. Holy shit. Pierce her skull and cut the base of her brain. My God. This oh, is my brutal. God. I didn't know brutal. about that part. That's horrible. So the wound path also showed blood, indicating it was most likely the fatal blow. So she felt she went through all of this shit, and that was the last thing that yeah. happened. Right. And she was alive through For all, all of, of this brutal beating. Yeah. Horrible. Ugh. It's traumatizing. So based off of the countless defensive wounds she had, they determined she may have received a powerful strike early on that kind of dazed her right. and didn't allow her to really fight back that yeah, much. Yeah, not as much as she could. Yeah. she was Because she was strong. Yeah. yeah. So if she hadn't have been, like, debilitated or, like, immediately early on, mm-hmm. she might have been able to do more for herself. But I think that whatever happened, she got, like, a good knock to the head yeah. and, like, was just disoriented. Right. Um... So at the station, the tip lines are starting to overflow with phone calls and emails. Most of them were too vague and unrelated to bother with, but a good majority centered around one specific person. That person was 40-year-old Keith Lockett. So he was known around the area for drinking too much beer and saying sexually charged comments to women. Right. (laughs) So... None of the callers put Keith near the store at the time of the murder, but many of them noted that he had been hanging out with a short guy and hadn't been seen at the store where he thought, where he, like, he would normally buy his beer from. Oh, okay. Since the afternoon of the murder. Oh, okay. So, Keith had grown up in Washington, D.C. He graduated from high school, had a long career as an amateur boxer, and the arrest kind of started piling up when he was 19. He They ranged from cocaine possession... Assault and battery, robbery, carrying a loaded gun, disorderly conduct, and beating someone with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) Not all the charges stuck, but this is like this dude's rap sheet. Okay. Beating someone with a stick. (laughs) It's not funny, but it's kind of hilarious. It's kind of hilarious. So the detectives found an active warrant charging Keith with furnishing alcohol to a 15-year-old. So it was small scale, but it allowed them to bring him in for questioning if they could find him. Right. So they're like, all right, we'll take it. Yeah. So um, they went by, like, the other shops on, on, like, the strip, you know, where Lululemon is, just kind of looking for more outdoor surveillance videos, like, asking around if anybody had any, if they could take it. While they were out there, a manager from a nearby store said that he saw Keith Lockett on the morning of the murder with two white guys walking towards the street where the yoga store was and that Keith had a backpack on and he'd never seen Keith with a backpack on. I mean, remember, this dude is like notorious in this area. Everybody knows who he is. They've all seen him around. He's just like this homeless guy who stands out and (laughs) says sexually charged comments to women. So... Right. Not liked very much. Not, um, and he's like, I've never seen him with a backpack Well, before. and in this area, you know, it's yeah, like, it's he like, stands out like he a He definitely stands thumb. out. Yeah. So one of the detectives goes back into the yoga store just to do another once-over and see if maybe they notice anything new. Um, they're still, you know, trying to piece everything together. Right. So while he's searching, he notices that um, a, a table in the fitting area has drawers beneath it. And the table slides really easily, and it was rotated slightly off-center. So he's like, hmm, looks like this table maybe was moved during a struggle, and nobody had examined the backside or underneath of it. Oh. 
because it was like moved towards the yeah. wall and it was covered by the wall. Right. So he's like, shit, we missed this. Yeah. So he pulls it out. He starts looking underneath it at the shelves and he notices that there's two pairs of running shoes without laces. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a men's pair and a women's pair. And he noticed that there's no other shoes in the store. So he's like, they clearly don't sell shoes. So what the fuck are these shoes for? So he finds it really odd. And he notices that both pairs had traces of, like, small red stains as if someone had cleaned blood off of them but missed some of it. Right. The men's pair was a size 14 Reebok. And he turns it over and he's, like, looking at the pattern and he's like, huh. So then he walks around the blood stains he's looking around till he finds like a really good clear print mm-hmm. and he kind of flips it over and he looks at them perfect match yeah, of course so he's like interesting so since they match now they have this discovery and they're like okay we're ramping up this search for Keith. yeah they're like it's a size 14 shoe it was in here like maybe he put it on or maybe it's his shoe and he left it behind. Right. You know, they don't sell any shoes there. So they're like, what the fuck are their shoes doing here? It just seems weird. Right. So it wasn't long before they had started hearing through the grapevine that Keith had actually turned up at a hospital about six miles away with bloody clothes and a swollen eye. Uh-oh. So the officers rush to the hospital. And when they get there, they find Keith in a hallway of uh, the emergency room. And he's just like lying on a bed with an ice pack over his left eye. <laughs> he has a swollen jaw and a bloody nose. And he immediately recognizes one of the officers and goes, I know you. We go way back, man. Mm -hmm. And so they ask him what happened to his eye and to his nose. And at first he tells them that a black guy with dreadlocks hit him the night before at a club. He said it was a lucky shot and he caught him off guard. He said he didn't know the guy's name, but that he was in his 30s. (laughs) So (laughs) then he repeats the story a second time. This time, he says that he hit him on the street outside of Bethesda Cares, which is like this um, homeless care shelter that's in like a nondescript building Mm -hmm. on that strip, which is another reason why some of these homeless people are hanging out in this like really nice area. That makes more sense. Bethesda Cares is there. (laughs) Makes more sense than being in a nightclub. Yeah. (laughs) So he says that he hits him outside the street, outside of Bethesda Cares, and tried to rob him. He says the man hung out with a short Spanish dude and the pair had robbed stores in Bethesda recently and they had cut that girl. The detective asked him how he knew this and he said by hanging out on the streets. Then he got all teary eyed and said he was across the street when that woman got hurt. The black dude and the Spanish dude robbed the lady and cut her. I seen it with my two eyes. They ended up talking, uh, taking him to the station because they're like, okay, so he either knows something or he's like really good at it, like coming up with shit. Yeah. So they're like, okay, we're going to take him to the station. Um, after he's discharged from the hospital, of course. So once they get him handcuffed in the interrogation room, they just kind of leave him there for a little bit because they want to go inspect his clothing. So they find that there were dried blood drops on the, on his Lakers cap sweatshirt jeans and white leather air jordans his black nike jacket also had like streaks of blood on it and the blood all seemed to be a little too fresh to be from friday night okay so they re-enter the room keith had fallen asleep at this point he's just chilling in there in his little hospital gown they never gave him his clothes back by the way (laughs) so he's just like chilling in his drawers and his fucking hospital gown he's like Whatever. I'm not stoked about this. Can I have my clothes back? <laughs> so they re-entered the room and they begin interrogating him. They weren't really getting anywhere. 
So they changed their approach to accuse him of killing Jaina and see what he would say. So they tell him they're going to test the blood on his clothes to see if it matched the blood of the murdered woman. He asked them if they thought he had something to do with it, and they told him that they did. So he pleads that he didn't do anything, that they should check his blood, and they'll see. He also asked, uh, they also asked him if he raped Brittany, and he said he did not. He was very adamant that he yeah. did not hurt that woman, and he did not rape that girl. So he told them that the blood on his clothes actually came from himself when he got hit in the nose. And they ended up booking him on a minor alcohol charge so that they could put him <laughs> in the county jail and just kind of, like, check this out. Right. So, during a press conference the following day, it's announced that the Lululemon Athletica and its founder were pledging $125,000 in reward money, and Federal Realty had actually chipped in another $10,000 for the identification and arrest of the assailant slash assailants responsible for this heinous rapes and murder. Okay. While they're waiting on a warrant to get Keith's DNA um, so that they can test it, they decided to go visit Brittany. At this point, she's already back home recovering. She's out of the hospital. So they want to go over there and ask her her account of the events again and yeah. just kind of get her story firsthand. Um, and this is the first time they've talked to her because, remember, it was a female was, cop yeah, before that spoke to him. They have not even met this girl yet. So she tells them... Virtually the same story as before, but this time she adds in more details. She says that Friday evening had been fairly slow in the store, and she and Jaina had closed at 9 p.m., cleaned up, and left heading in opposite directions. Brittany realized that she left her wallet behind and called Jaina to ask if she could come let her back in. I noticed I didn't have my laptop anyway, so that's fine, she recalls Jaina saying. So I'll just meet you at the store and we'll walk in together. Brittany said there weren't many people left on Bethesda Avenue when she waited for Jaina. The fancy bakery called Georgetown Cupcake was closed, as well as the Apple Store. When Jaina arrived, the two went inside but couldn't find Brittany's wallet. Jaina offered Brittany her plastic subway fare card so she could board the subway. Why don't you just take mine and we'll look for it in the morning, she recalled Jaina saying. She told him how she and Jaina were walking out when two men suddenly appeared one of them striking Jaina. The detective asked where the man who had attacked her was, and she replied that he was behind one of the clothing racks, and then he asked, okay, well, what did he do? When I noticed him is when he jumped up. When I tried to turn around, he yanked me back by my hair and was yelling at me to shut up. At this point, Jaina and I are both yelling for help. She said both men wore dark clothes, gloves, ski masks with narrow slits cut around the eyes, mm -hmm. and hoodies over the masks. My suspect was taller than me by a couple of inches, maybe 5'5", five five, and Jaina's suspect was taller. He dragged Jaina by her hair. The two men laughed, almost as if they were acting out a violent video game, the name of which I can't remember. And the detective's like, are you referring to Grand Theft Auto? And she goes, yeah, that's the one. What? Okay. Right? Her hands start shaking and she had tears in her eyes and she tells the detectives that her attacker forced her to the cash registers to get money, whacked her across the head, pushed her to the back of the store and then shoved her onto Jaina's dead body. Then suddenly she pauses, looks down, back up the detectives and says there was something she hadn't told the female detective back at the hospital. They know where I live. 
And the detectives are like, how the fuck do they know that? What do you mean? And she responded that she didn't know. They probably looked through her purse and might have found her bills. She had Comcast and gas bills in her bag. Okay. Okay. This is some random information to just bring up. He asked her to describe the guy that assaulted her. And she was really vague, um, saying that he was covered from head to toe. He asked her, based off of his voice, how old she thought he was. And she said mid-20s, maybe. He asked from his voice if she could give him a race or an ethnicity of any kind, and she said Caucasian. She said that Jaina's attacker was taller, about six feet. As far as the color of his skin, she had no idea. They asked if the way he spoke had given her any kind of idea, maybe what race he was, and she said the same, Caucasian. Okay. Brittany continued to explain that her attacker called her the N-word as he raped her, and the detectives asked her... If she had told her family that the assailants knew where she lived and she said that she hadn't and asked if she should and they responded, I mean, we can't tell you, but we definitely think you should because you live with them and they have a right to know about this, right. you know? Um, the other thing is the cop, one of the cops was really familiar with Grand Theft Auto and this is what she's like saying this whole thing's based off of. Yeah. And what they normally say in there is call people a fucking bitch. They don't say the N word. So he's like, hmm. Mm. That sounds off. Like, in that game, everybody always calls everybody a fucking bitch. So why would he be calling you the N-word? Like, this doesn't sound right. He's already yeah. like, mm, He's like, hmm. Not really buying this part of it, but okay. okay. So then Brittany kind of tells her family in front of the cops what's going on. Right. Um, that she thinks that they know where she lives, blah, 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 whatever. And, of course, the family asks the usual questions. Like, should we be concerned? Should we be worried? And they're like, well, you know... Normally, they don't return to the scene of the crime. We can't imagine that they're going to show up at your house. But, you know, be vigil. Keep an eye out. And if you notice anything suspicious and you're concerned, call 911. Let us know. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll come check it out. So, as they're on their way out the door, um, they decided to turn around and ask her one more question. He remembered that the men, the men's shoes in the store. And yeah. so he asked her if they sell shoes there. And she said, no. He asked her if there were any in the store. And she said, yeah, there's two pairs, a man's and a woman's. The man's are really big and they're used for alterations. And he's like, alterations? I didn't realize yoga pants were that serious. Like people get yoga <laughs> oh, pants altered. <laughs> yeah. So then Brittany's brother kind of comes over and he asks if he can walk out with the detectives as they're leaving. And they're like, sure. Yeah, of course. He says, you know, I'm happy that my sister is alive. I'm thankful my sister is alive. But I just can't get over the fact that, like, why would they spare her? This girl was killed and my sister only has a few injuries. And so the cops are like, well, do you think your sister had something to do with it? And he goes, no, no, I don't think that. And they're like, well, what kind of person is your sister? And he says, my sister is very secretive. Then he tells this story. When Brittany was six years old, their dad ran out of gas while taking her to a soccer game. He told Brittany to stay in the car while he went to the gas station, yet when he returned, she was gone. She had hitchhiked home. (laughs) Yeah, six years old. So he didn't add much more to the story or even explain why he tells them that. And then he just kind of like politely says goodbye and goes back inside. And they're like, what the fuck was that about? Like, that's a very random thing. Yeah, that's something to sit on, I guess. Yeah. What? So it's beginning to look like Jaina or Brittany had killed Jaina and that there were no assailants at all. The detectives at this point are not buying Brittany's story. 
The shoes are really sticking out to them. Why would an attacker even know about the shoes? And why bother to clean them and put them back? Like, why not take them with them? Exactly. The shoe prints have never even left the store. So that's weird. Mm-hmm. Like, they use shoes from in the store and just leave them there. They never exit the store. That would make like, no this sense. is weird. Yeah. Also, why would they stop their attack? mid like attack to just go over and pull her bills out and like figure out her address <laughs> and shit like none of her statements are adding up and they're just like this is weird and it's not really making any sense right so they decide to go back to the station and uh look over the report completed by the rape exam nurse for Brittany. it says patient vaginal exam revealed no tears or tenderness cervix had several white lesions which seems pretty light for having being uh, raped with a coat hanger, mm-hmm. a wooden coat hanger. Um, so he reads the account of what Brittany tells the nurse. Patient says that was her last memory until this morning being in the ambulance. And so he's like, of course, that makes sense because she's using memory loss as an excuse for all these fucking holes in her story. Right, right. Like this is making everything start to make sense now. So they review the photos of her injuries again. And this time, they're looking at the two superficial cuts on her lower back and wondering if she could have inflicted them herself. So one of the detectives kind of, like, stands up and demonstrates, like, cutting himself in the back. Right. And they're realizing that it shows the same direction, it's the same angle and everything, and they're like, well, this is super likely. She easily could have cut herself in the back. And remember back to when they were talking about how, like, all of her wounds were very superficial, they were all about the same, none of them were kind of crazy, like, they would be if you were in a struggle moving, trying to get away, like, somebody's attacking you. Yeah. So... Ding, ding, ding. Very, very different Red than flags. Gender. Shit's starting to pop up. Yep. They're like, what the fuck? So, <laughs> <laughs> so they also notice that the dried blood from the cut on her forehead travels down over her nose and mouth, which indicates that she was standing while she was bleeding, right? But yeah. she had supposedly spent the night laying on the floor. So they're like, if that was the case, would have been going blood would have went on the sides, too. Yeah. So they're like, the blood trail totally would have shifted and... So that that also, this also doesn't add up. Yeah. So they decided that they needed to keep their theory quiet. Again, they're Mm -hmm. still like, "Mm, nope, going to keep this quiet. They're like, there's too many racial politics involved at play here. This could potentially blow up in our faces if we're wrong. We really need to focus on trying to get as much evidence as we can to back this theory up. Because it definitely seems the most probable. Right. But there's no way in hell we want the media to get a hold of this because it will just turn into a shit show 100 and they would get completely fucked if they were wrong so they're like we're not going this route you get sued i'm sure so since britney's wrists and ankles are bound they decided to examine the zip ties for bite marks because obviously if you zip tie yourself you're going to use your mouth to pull the zip ties closed right so they also are like let's check jana's car for blood too Mm because it's just weird that she came back but the car is still three blocks away it was nighttime there's no way she would have had to park that far away she would have been able to park in the lot like this doesn't make any sense so they're like let's check her car somebody was in it for a while for a while after the fact right and also yeah if we can find saliva on these blood on these zip ties like we fucking got her ass so they get to the car uh, which had been obviously impounded because they were, like, checking. They hadn't really checked it for evidence yet, but they already had it there. So in the car, they find a bright pink workout jacket on the passenger floorboard and a black baseball, like, Lululemon baseball cap, which was on the rear seat floorboard. They swabbed the surfaces of the car looking for DNA. They find a tiny smudge of what looks like blood on the driver's floor mat, and about 12 inches away from that, like, on the door is a dark red drop the size of a pinhead against the driver's door. Mm -hmm. 
They also find a possible bloodstain in the jacket and a red smudge the size of a fingertip on the front inside band of the cap. And the band on the hat is partially stained in the same location as like the, the where, you know, the middle of the mm-hmm. wearer's forehead. And they're remembering that Brittany's wound is in that exact same spot on her head. So they're like, all right, let's do a field test and see yeah. if this comes up positive for blood. Well, it does. So they're like, fuck yeah. Now we just got to test this blood. And if it comes back, Brittany, she was in the fucking car. That's right. So as they waited on the DNA for the blood and the evidence and stuff to be processed, they decided to question Brittany again, trying to see if they could like bring up the car somehow and get her to admit that she'd either been in it or lie about not having been in right. it. Right. Um, so on March 16th, this is the 16th now, Brittany and some of her family members show up to the station under the pre- uh, under the pretense of like thinking that she's just coming to get like elimination fingerprints right. and like some hair tests so and that they can go eliminate her from you right. know the scene. They inform her that their finger mach- uh, print machine isn't working, which actually is true. Yeah. Um, but it just happened to work out because it makes them look like fumbling detectives, like they really don't have much going on, and they're like, "This bitch is smart, so we right. want to make sure we look like we don't really know what's going on." Mm-hmm. So she thinks that she's still got us under her hand, yeah. like under her toe, you yeah. know. And so that she would show up exactly. So um, they said that first they'd get hair samples, but before taking any samples, they just want to sit down and talk to her a little bit. And so they explained. That they were getting fingerprints from anyone who works in the store just in order to distinguish the innocent store employees from the killers. Right. Um, And he explained to her that they had gotten many tips and leads, but they're still following up on everything, so they don't really have much they can tell her yet. He asked her if she had a chance to speak with one of the counselors the county provides to rape victims, and she said that she had not. He asked her about Lululemon, and she said a company executive had come to check on her earlier that day. And that she enjoyed working at the yoga store. Um, He engaged in more banter with her and just kind of like asked her about her family, where she'd gone to college, what her major was, why she transferred to Bethesda, um, which we know all of these things because you told us earlier. (laughs) So um, she told them that there was a long story behind why she transferred basically, but it was a lot of drama and that it had basically been a blessing in disguise. Right. Because shortly... uh, about shortly after, two technicians arrive and they start taking hair samples. This takes about 20 minutes. When they left, the detective directed her to sit in the chair closer to the hidden microphone, just kind of lying and saying, like, he wanted the more comfortable chair because he has a bad back. And so she's yeah. like, okay, sure, like, no problem. Sure. Um, so then the stenographer comes in and he kind of plays down his job too because he doesn't want her to know who he is or what he's doing so he's like oh i'm the note guy they say i just write faster than everybody he's just like kind of bullshitting with her like oh you know yeah whatever so they tell her they want to speak to her a little bit more before the fingerprint people come in and they start asking her about Jaina and any boy- boyfriends she might have. She tells them about Jaina's boyfriend, Frazier, and how he went to the University of Washington and that Jaina was planning to move there and they bonded immediately because Brittany's from Seattle. So Brittany uh, spoke about the last night she and Jaina worked. And as far as Brittany knew, Jaina had headed home, which opened up the segue to bring up her car. So they're like, okay, well, did she live in Arlington? She's like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, does does she drive then? And they were, and she said, yeah. Um, do you know what kind of car she has? And she responded that she didn't know. She'd only seen it once, um, but she wasn't sure of the make or the model. 
So he begins kind of going back over her account of that night. He placed a diagram of the store in front of her between them. And he apologized that he hadn't done it sooner and just started asking her questions about the layout. He basically wants her now to walk them through what happened right. on the diagram so they can see the route. Huh. That's smart. Very smart. So Brittany tells them how the assault started in the fitting area where the bathrooms were and then moved back and forth among the other three sections of the store. Sometimes she spoke in the present tense, uh, like when she described Jaina getting pushed into the hallway behind the purple door and how her screams started to fade. She described breaking free of her attacker and squeezing into the rear hallway to try to help Jaina, seeing her getting dragged back. Um, Brittany helps the detective draw a figure of where Jaina's body was and the direction it was facing. Huh. She said she remembered seeing a lot of blood and stepping in it. Her attacker then dragged her back into the fitting room where he struck her on the forehead with something heavy. Then he forced her onto the bathroom floor and cut her hands and stomach. Suddenly, both men wanted to know how to get out the back door. So Brittany's attacker drug her to the rear hallway to tell them how to disconnect the fire alarm. She then explained how it was told to her by her attacker after he dragged her into the bathroom. He told her that she was lucky she was cute because she was more fun to fuck with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. He then asked her about the rape. She said he had a hanger and he said he wasn't going to stop until she came. He asked how long this went on and she said it felt like forever. So he moves on asking how she ended up tied up. He asked her where they got the zip ties because it sounded like he was with her the entire time. And she's like, yeah, he was with me the whole time, but I don't know where he got them. Um, maybe he brought them with him. So then the detective's like, so they came into the store and they had them with them. And she's like, I don't know where he gets them. Um, I have no idea. And so he's like, at this point, he's like, all right, fuck this bitch. I'm telling her. So he's like, well... There was a box of them in the back storage room, and we don't really know if they're the same ones or not. So Brittany hears this, and she's, like, itching to leave. She's yeah, like, I gotta go. She goes, I don't really want to talk anymore. Can I just get my fingerprints and then go? I'm sorry. And the, the cop's like, okay, well, um, if Jaina, did Jaina ever give you a ride home or anything? And she says no. Then the fingerprint technician comes in and collects the fingerprints. It takes about 30 minutes. While this is happening, um... The cop is just kind of making small talk with the family. Um, when they're all done, her and the family leave. So the next day, Brittany's brother calls the detectives to inform them that she had withheld an important piece of information about the attack because she had been so rattled by the whole thing. The men actually made Brittany move Jaina's car the night of the murder. And Brittany now wants to come in and talk with the detectives to give them the entire story. Okay, sure she does. This bitch <laughs> when she finally came back a few days later takes a couple days for her to finally come in right right because they say like she says she's gonna come in the next day and then they call and her sister's like oh she's too tired to talk to you guys today yeah so it takes a few days she finally comes back to the station and at this point they're like not sure if she's gonna come back or not yeah they're like clearly she realizes that we know she was in the car right so now she's backpedaling yeah like, Hard. Let's see what story she. Yeah, comes let's up see with. what she says. Like, what yeah. could they? Po- what she? What could she possibly say about why she went back to the car and then came back into the store? Like, what right. the, they were like, we can't wait to hear this shit. Exactly. 
So when she finally comes back a few days later, she tells them that prior to her attacker sexually assaulting her and zip tying her, they made her move the car. She said they asked where Jaina's keys were and she said she had no idea. So one of them punched her in the head. They made her look through her coat and her bag for them. When she finally found them, they said if she was um, to pass anybody on the street and open her mouth, they can, that she can consider herself dead and that one of them would be watching the entire time. She told them about the lot where she'd moved the car. I remember seeing a cop and I was just too scared to even flag him down. I'm sorry, what? You see a cop and you're too scared to flag him down? That's ignorant. Bitch, please. Yeah. The detective asked a few more questions, asking her to go over her return to the store step by step in case she remembered anything else because she's clearly finding all these new, you know, details that she didn't remember before. Eventually, she adds the detail that before she left the store, the men made her put a black hat on. They asked her why they made her put it on. Exactly. And she said she didn't know. She asked if they knew how many times they'd hit her in the head. And he goes, I don't know. How many times did they hit you in the head? And she goes, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Dude. They asked if random passersby on the street, like, looked at her funny when she made the three-block walk back to the store all bloody and shit, and she said she wasn't sure if anybody even saw her, which okay. I find really fucking hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, of course, if people had seen her, I'm sure somebody would have called in a tip saying, like, I saw this girl covered in blood walking on the night that the girl right. died. Exactly. So, maybe nobody did see her, but still, the sound, but still. The, this whole thing is just, like, nuts. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. So... <laughs> So then they ask her, and how did you fall onto Jaina? I mean, were you on your hands and your knees or straight down, like pancaked on top of her or what? He pushed me on her. I touched her head. He said he couldn't hear her through the crying. And, you know, this is being recorded. And because he can't really hear her, he's like saying this shit out loud. So the recording can pick up that she's crying. But this is what she said. And he's trying to make sure it's all being like recorded on tape. Yeah. So he's like, you need to speak up. And she says, one of my hands fell on her head before, like, sliding to the ground in the blood. An hour or so after the interview had started, Brittany indicates that she doesn't want to talk anymore. Well, yeah. Yeah. At this, this bitch already has been saying so much more shit than anybody. Because every time they bring her in, they'll, like, leave the door open. So it gives the illusion that she's, I mean, she is free to go. They haven't Mirandized her yet. So until that she's been Mirandized, she can just leave. She can do whatever she wants, yeah. So she's feeling, you know, somewhat safe that you know she's able to go so she's saying way more shit than she ever should have fucking said without a lawyer by the way absolutely like i'm not trying to advocate for any criminals but like if you ever get arrested and they want to ask you questions you lawyer the fuck up immediately you don't sit there and answer anything because they'll use all this shit against you twist it to fit their fucking narrative like in this case like yeah, everything she was, they needed it. But, needed you know, it. not always. A lot of people get falsely fucking convicted. And it's because they open their fucking mouths and they don't get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And if you get arrested, get a lawyer. Don't talk. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> I got passionate for a second. All right. So, anyway, she's like, I don't want to talk anymore. So, at this point, they have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. They're either going to Mirandize her or they're going to let her go. Yeah. So, they tell her she should probably, uh, she could probably go in a few minutes, but they needed a break. So they're like, we're going to take a break. They leave the door open again. They leave her in there. Right. They go into the captain's office. 
and they're just kind of strategizing like what they're going to do. Drury is still not really like um, he's still conflicted. He doesn't know for sure if he wants to confront her. No, the detective. Oh, sorry. He's still conflicted because he's not sure if he wants to Mirandize her yet or if he wants to wait. He's like not really sure. He's like worried that if they do too much Mm -hmm. too soon, she's going to close off and they're not going to get anything from her. You know, he's been doing this for like 30 years. He's like not trying to fuck this up. But the captain's like, uh, no, y'all need to fucking Mirandize her. Like, we're at that point. Yeah, like, just do it. Get so it, he kind of he kind of goes back in, and he's still kind of in his head, not sure if he's going to listen to him yet. Yeah. He's still kind of deciding what he's going to do. So he goes back in, and he said that he just wants to clarify a few things. When he pushed you on top of Jaina, was she moving at all? She moved when I fell on her, but she didn't say anything. Okay, did she moan or anything like that? She softly whimpered and nodded her head, yes. They noticed that she couldn't seem to make any tears come out. And they're like, we just asked you, like, if your friend was still alive when you fell on her. And you, like, literally can't fucking muster up a tear. Yeah. Like, come on, bitch. So, um, he's like, she was moaning and she nods again. She was probably dying, right? Brittany squeaks and barely audibly says, I don't know. I don't know. Brittany, sorry. Oh. You like my... I do. All right. So, <laughs> so this is this is when the cop starts pulling typical good cop, bad cop, cop, yeah. twisty bullshit on her. Sure. And I wrote the whole thing down because I thought it was all super interesting. Yeah. So y'all all get to hear about it. <laughs> Brittany, there comes a point sometimes when we have to break down and get everything off of our chest, Okay. I know this has been really rough for you as far as, like, I'm sure you've been going absolutely nuts for these past couple of days as far as what the cops have found out, what the cops have figured out, what the cops know. No. No one will tell me anything. I can't even watch the news. Oh, I can only imagine, you know, you've got to be going absolutely nuts with worry, with fear. you got to be. And you got to tell us what really happened. I'm telling you. Because I know what really happened. I told you what really happened. No. What you have done is you've concocted an incredible story that doesn't make any doggone sense. Right. And she's like, no. Listen to me, okay? I've been doing this. I've been a cop for over 30 years. I've been working homicide for damn near 25 years. And I've seen a lot of stuff. And I've heard a lot of tales. And I've seen a lot of people, good and bad. And sometimes people get into situations way over their heads. And it's like, what the hell am I going to do now, you know? How am I going to explain this? What the hell am I going to do now? I guess we can start with the injuries you have that are self-inflicted. Pulling out a couple of photos from the hospital. I wouldn't do this to myself. He told her he didn't believe her. She hadn't been knocked out during the attack or bound up with zip ties. She could have lowered her arms and wiggled to a phone. Brittany, I know about the thefts. I know that Jaina found clothing in your bag and that you had been suspected of stealing. No. So why did you kill her then? I didn't. (laughs) Yes, you did. No, I didn't. I would never do that. Jaina was my friend. He then told her about how the footprints in the store had revealed that there were never two men inside, just the tracks made by Brittany and the store's size 14 Reeboks. You put those on. She shook her head. I would never do that. Who do you think I am? I think you need help, okay? And I'm very, (laughs) very concerned for you. And I think you need to, like, really get this off your chest. Yes. At this point, the other detective starts playing devil's advocate. He hops in, trying to sympathize with her, trying to get her to talk, playing the whole, like, 
you know, what is your family going to think? You right. don't want them to think that you just went crazed and whatever. You got to tell us what really happened so we can understand why this happened. Tell us, you know, who started it? Was there a fight? What happened? You know, do you really want the media to pick up on this? Everybody's going to paint you to be this monster, but you have a chance right now to fix this by telling us what happened. Nobody's yeah. judging you. Like, we get it. it. You know, you lost it. It's fine. Tell us Stuff what happened. Happens. Yeah, shit happens. She is not budging. Uh-uh. I so, wouldn't, uh, yeah. so they're like, okay, we're going to take another break. Of course. <laughs> so they leave, go back to the captain's office. And he's like, all right, motherfuckers, you need to Mirandize her <laughs> right now. Yeah, right now. So they go back in. They casually read her her rights. Not like the formal yeah, whatever. They're yeah. like casually reading them, trying to make it sound like it's still very like laissez-faire, mm-hmm. you know, like they're still thinking maybe they can get her to say something. Um, she asks if she can see her brother and her sister who came to the station with her this time. And they're like, sure. So they bring them in. Mm-hmm. This is when it gets really interesting. Really interesting. Really interesting. So, the detectives tell the siblings about the holes in Brittany's story and how she must have realized that they found the blood and the hat in Gina's car, so Mm -hmm. she came up with this new information to cover her ass. They explained that the scene had ensued, you know, the scene that had ensued, you know, like her walking to the car to move it, blood all over her, walking back around all these people on that a busy no Friday sense. night street, seeing a cop, not bothering to stop him, going back, knowing that she could potentially be killed or raped because her friend was already dead. Yeah. And she'd already been thrown on top of Jaina, so they knew she's covered in blood at this point. Right. They're like, can you imagine this scene? And he's like, does this make any fucking sense to you? And the brother's like, mm, no, that doesn't make any sense. And so then uh, her brother asks them what their theory is. And they're like, well, we think Brittany killed Jaina. Yeah. Her sister freaks out. Oh, Marissa's yeah. like, it's not possible. She's distressed. She's like freaking out. And they're like, all right, let's get you out of here. You gotta go. So they remove her from the room. So now it's just her brother, Chris, her, and the detectives. The brother continues to kind of go back and forth with them, admitting that her story never fully made sense to him, but he keeps trying to kind of dodge certain questions because you can tell he's still trying to protect her. So he's just trying to figure out what they know. He's just like trying to get any information from them on like what they could possibly have on her. So he knows what, like how to help her. Um, So they explain the shoe print tracks because at this point they had a shoe print expert in there and he'd kind of laid out all the tracks and for the most part figured out which ways they went, why, where, whatever. Right. They'd also noticed that there were these weird like spiral prints besides some of the tracks and then later there were just spiral prints and they, he did a field test with his own pair of shoes and realized that the laces were untied and they were like flipping uh-huh. and touching the ground. Yuck. Later she cleaned her shoes but didn't clean all the blood off of the laces, the laces. so they kept leaving Mm -hmm. those so they found her tracks but then they also found the other tracks of the other shoes those are the only two tracks throughout the entire store are her shoes and the size 14 Reeboks yep so they throw all of this at him and then they kind of explain their theory on that they kind of tell they tell him about the zip ties and how they assume that they'll find her saliva on them um chris notices a photo on the table and picks it up and it's actually a photo of Jaina's dead body and he sees like all the blood and everything and he's like is this Jaina?" and they're like yeah and he goes oh boy yeah oh boy (laughs) yeah yeah which i feel like is a way calmer reaction to seeing a dead body well and like a mutilated dead body yeah like okay i wouldn't say oh boy (laughs) yeah right (laughs) so then Brittany asks chris if they can go and he turns he's like i don't know actually 
can we go? And the detectives are like, mm, we're still trying to figure that out right now. And so Chris asks Brittany if she wants to say anything. And she's like, no, I don't have anything to say. So Detective Drury asks Chris what his gut feeling is based on what they've told him. And Chris says that his gut feeling is that there was never a robbery. That never made any sense to him. And that's kind of why he came to them when they were at the house that day. Um, some of the story didn't make sense, but he didn't have the facts. He was like, right. you guys have the facts. I've never had the facts. And I didn't know if like, you know, shit was being portrayed in the media differently than it actually was. He didn't know if stuff had been blown out of proportion. So yeah. he didn't really want to make any assumptions until he knew. And he also felt like if Brittany, like if, if she had something to do with it, eventually she would come to terms and she would want to talk to him. And he wanted to wait and give her that opportunity to come yeah. to him herself. He didn't want to press her. He want to ask her. He was like, when she's ready to talk, she'll talk. Like, she'll tell me. So he didn't, he didn't press her on it. He says, you know, naturally I'm her brother. I don't want to believe it. We still need to, you know, like she, she needs to look me in the eyes and like admit this to me and like, tell me why, or yeah. I'm, or I'm not going to believe you. Yeah. So he asks if he can talk to Brittany alone for a minute and they're like, sure. So they walk out and they rush to the office where the monitor is so they can watch this conversation. Yes. And I'm going to read to you guys this conversation because I have it all narrated in my freaking book. And I'm going to read it and all to insane. you. It's insane. And I just like, you guys need to hear this whole fucking, it's so, yeah. okay. So this is the conversation. Chris kind of turns towards her and says, should I ask you, did you? I don't want to talk about it here. I just want to go, Chrissy. Listen, listen. I don't know if they're going to let you go. You need to tell me right now. Did you do it? Chrissy, I just want to go home. Brittany, I'm not going to fucking rat you out, but you need to tell me so I know how to talk to these guys because if you did it, we have to get you a lawyer to defend you. I just don't want to talk about it here, but I will tell you everything. Just nod your head if you did it. Please tell me, please. She doesn't move. Chrissy, I don't want to be, I don't want you to be disappointed in me like everyone else. What? What did you just say? I don't want you to be disappointed in me like everyone else. No one is disappointed in you, Brittany. We're your family. No matter what, we're going to be here for you, okay? Because everything he just told me, and I didn't look like I was convinced, but that is really fucking convincing, okay? You're going to just tell me so that I can at least try to get you out of here, because this is going to get... A hell of a lot fucking worse. She continues to apologize to him. I'm going to ruin our family. You're not going to ruin our family, okay? I'll take that as a yes. Why? I don't know how it happened. Are you sure they can't hear us, Chris? I looked around for listening devices. There's nothing in this room. And if they did, and even if they did record this, there's nothing they could use in court. Chris asked Brittany if Jaina had accused her of shoplifting, how the fight started, if Brittany had planned out what happened. Brittany gave vague answers, even as Chris cut, cut her off from saying too much. Okay, stop. Listen. Listen. No. 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 What we're going to do is we're going to have to get you a defense attorney. I know. Okay, hold on. We have, we, we're going to have two options. One option is going to be they could do some temporary insanity or something like that. But the problem with that is that you've talked to too many people. You've talked to counselors and people who know you're not insane, okay? So that's probably not... She cuts him off. I haven't talked to anyone, Chris. <clears throat> no. 
I know you talked to the counselor on the phone for like 40 minutes yesterday. No, no, no. Like maybe 10 minutes if that. You've talked to people. You've been so not going to work. So that's not going to work. So what we're going to have to do is you're going to have to be very honest with us and with an attorney mainly. And we're going to have to try to concoct some sort of plan like she attacked you. But that doesn't look good because you tried to cover it all up. Oh, God, let me let me see if I can get you out of here. Okay. Brittany's apologizing, apologizing. Um, She says, I damn near had a job. I don't know if she didn't like me. I don't know, Chris. So she attacked. Wait. She came to let you in, right? And then what? What did she say? That she was going to like, I don't know, make sure our manager knew or something? Your manager knew what? That you were shoplifting? But I wasn't. I didn't have anything. Had you stolen from that store before? Never, Chrissy. Honestly, I wouldn't. I was doing good. Speaking barely over a whisper, Chris started to instruct Brittany on how to lie. I'm going to tell you something. You've done it three times. When they ask you a question, you're looking down and you're looking to your left. That means you're lying, okay? If you're going to lie, when you talk to them, find something in the room. See that red button? Look at that red button every time. Do not look at anything else. Yikes. Yep. Big yikes. So he gets up to knock on the door and let the detectives know that he's finished. And, um... Then asks if he can speak with his sister, Marissa. So they bring Marissa into, they bring him into a different room with Marissa and they leave them alone. And again, they rush back so they can listen to what they're saying. Yeah. While they're in there, Chris basically tells Marissa that she admitted to him that they, that she did it. And he calls his dad to inform them that they should go to a different house right now. Cause he's worried that if, you know, the media gets a hold of yeah. this, they're going to like surround the house. And he's like, I'll, I'll let you know, like, I'll give you more information later when I can, but I got to go. Just leave the house, go somewhere else. And so the family, I'm sure, is like, what the fuck is going on? Like, we have right. to leave the house? So basically the detectives keep shutting Chris, like shuttling him between rooms to see Brittany. And then eventually they let Brittany or Marissa go see Brittany. All of this is being recorded. And uh, Marissa's just like, I love you, sweetie. Like, it's okay. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, and, and like starts to kind of talk to her about it. And the cops are like, all right, breaking this shit up. So they pop in and decide to let them know that they've been recording all of it. Everything. And that everything actually is admissible, even though Chris told her that it wasn't. He's like, we heard him tell you that, but that's not true. We can (laughs) actually use all of this. Um, but they also try to play it off like they just want to give Brittany the chance to come clean so she doesn't come off as a heartless murderer. Yeah. And she still doesn't budge. So with that, she's arrested. And now Mandy will take over. <laughs> okay. So she's arrested. Yeah. She, so while she's being handcuffed and moved to a jail, 1,400 miles away, 200 people are gathering for Jana's funeral. So about the same time. Mm-hmm. So Brittany goes to jail, and she kind of sits there, right? So seven months go by. Oh, boy. Yep. So seven months after she's arrested and she's taken to Montgomery County, uh, she spends that time, that seven months, talking to counselors. Uh, She gets involved in self-help groups, and she just kind of has to wait Mm because nothing's going on. Because in the meantime... The prosecution is getting their case together, Mm -hmm. right? So she has to wait until it's time to go to court. They want to go for the max. First degree murder without the possibility of parole. And the death penalty 
is not an option under Maryland state law. So they can't go there. Well, she got lucky there, I guess. She did. Brittany's attorney hinted at making a deal with the prosecution to commit Brittany to a mental hospital prison (laughs) on the grounds of temporary insanity. Hmm. She would plead guilty to second-degree murder, which has a maximum sentence of 30 years and the possibility of parole. Absolutely not. The The prosecution and Jana's family, they were like, no. We are not taking a plea deal. Yeah, no, what? And we want to bring the full weight of the law on Brittany. Yeah. Like, excuse yeah. me? She deserves that. Right. The Murrays thought it was important to put Brittany away forever, and they believed that she was a sociopath, saying, quote, someday she would be cornered again, and we don't want anyone to ever face that risk. Yeah, I mean, she'd already been stalking her boyfriend that she broke up with, broke into his house, like... Yeah. She didn't care Supposedly either. used to hit and punch him and stuff, which sounds right. pretty probable at this point because she clearly has anger issues if you could snap so hard over a pair of, like, you potentially losing a job that you're going to murder somebody as brutally as she did. Exactly. And... Yikes. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my god. Okay. I mean, she obviously doesn't care either. Like, nothing's going to stop no. her necessarily because they had... Um, an order of protection. And she was yeah, like, and she, she was signed it. She was like, like, I don't care. She was like, sure. Yeah. She yeah. just kept doing it. She doing what she wants. She didn't give an absolute fuck. No. All right. The trial begins as a complete media circus, as you I'm can imagine. Sure. A crowd is mobbing the courthouse all around it. And, and this is taking place in Rockville, Maryland. A police line has to hold back the onlookers and, like, cameras and TV crews, like, literally everywhere. Well, can you imagine, like, everybody's been hearing this story over the news that these masked assailants came in and raped and murdered her and whatever, and then come to find out she made the whole story up? I'm sure there was an outrage and everybody was losing their fucking shit. And there's only 61,000 people in this town, (laughs) right? They're like, like, no. (sighs) So the two families, the Norwoods and the Murray families, they never formally met. They're just sitting on opposite sides of the aisle. Brittany was always impeccably dressed and very well-groomed. Sometimes she'd wear pearls. And she just, her demeanor was... Stolen pearls? Maybe. (laughs) Her demeanor was super weird, just stony-faced. And she didn't listen to her brother because she just looked straight down or like straight ahead or down at the table. Her defense attorney came from the point of view of this. He said, yes, Brittany caused the death of Gina Murray. So he's like, I'm not even going to deny it. Yeah, I'm not. It's super obvious. Yeah. But she was not guilty of first degree murder and it was not an act of premeditation. She just lost it. She lost control. She didn't mean to kill Jana. She lost it and there was no turning back. Yeah, obviously after fucking 300 injuries and 200 more and good Lord. Now the prosecution's like, okay. I don't have to prove that Brittany killed you because yeah, your lawyer is admitting oh, it. Brittany killed Jana because the lawyer was just like, yeah, she did it. But they had to show some premeditation and like that such brutality that Brittany should never have the possibility of parole. parole. Yeah. They were not able to present any of the evidence of shoplifting the night of the murder or any of Brittany's previous offenses. None of it was allowed in court. What? They didn't let any of it be. But all of None that of stuff shows that she had this history of. Yep. They still, uh, it's not admissible because I had nothing to do with the case. I stopped reading after what I had to research for. <laughs> so I'm learning all of this with you guys right now. I had no idea how it was going to end. <laughs> the trial lasts six days. There's 25 witnesses and more than 200 exhibits. The trail 
was said to be like experiencing Gina's murder in slow motion. They went over everything in detail. After six long days of testimony where the defense did not call one witness. No, they're like, "Mm, we have nothing. We we don't have anybody to help you. (laughs) So both sides go into closing arguments. For nearly an hour, the Murray's attorney, his name is McCarthy, laid out Jaina's death blow by blow. Oh, God. He had always tried to protect her family and said, never look at the crime scene photos, never look at anything. He's like, but I can't protect them anymore. Yeah. The evidence, the testimony. Well, they could have stepped out if they didn't want to hear it, too. Right. At least in that in that point, they would have the option. Yeah. So the probable sequence of events showing that Jaina had suffered a long and unimaginable torture. The judge then sends the jury to deliberate. And within minutes, the <laughs> they've decided... Had voted on whether to convict. Yeah, no shit. It was so obvious. Mm -hmm. All 12 hands went up. Within minutes. I love that. Brittany Norwood was convicted of first degree murder and the trial was over until sentencing. So, after this guilty verdict, the question is, is she getting life in prison with parole or life in prison without parole? It takes three more months and, (laughs) and Judge Greenberg... He, this is when, over these three months, he's receiving um, victim impact statements and, you know, letters from people. And he's just really going over the case in detail. Now he was ready for sentencing. So both families come, come back. And before her sentencing, they read letters and statements. I think her brother had a 27-page letter that he wrote. Holy shit. To her? The one, Chris? The one that was like... No, no, no. um, Jaina's brother. Oh, Jaina's brother. Everybody was so... Just beyond distraught. Yeah. Then it was Brittany's turn, and they had no idea if she was going to talk. But she does. Oh. She stands up. She apologized to the Murrays for, quote, for the crimes I've been convicted of. Oh, this bitch still won't even own up to it to give this family some closure. What a cunt. I hate that word, but she is. Mm -hmm. She apologized to them she said a couple different things. She apologized to her family. She said she had the best family ever, blah, blah, blah. But then she looked at the judge and she asked the judge to leave her with, quote, some hope to have the possibility of parole one day. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Fuck you. No. Yeah. Judge Greenberg said he saw almost no chance of Brittany ever being rehabilitated. Her barbaric nature and her acts were represented the worst of human behavior. She had, this is what he says, she had plenty of opportunities to stop her brutality, but did not take them. After every blow, you had the opportunity to think about what you were doing. Instead, you mutilated this woman. Yeah. She could have stopped at any point, called 911, and just dipped the fuck out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. she could have, she literally could have done anything. Anything. Yeah. But instead, she decided to make sure the job was done. Mm -hmm. And in the worst way possible. Horrible. So, Judge Greenberg sentenced Brittany to spend the rest of her days incarcerated, no matter what, without the possibility of parole. Good. Brittany would die behind bars. Good. Fuck her. The judge also criticized the Apple Store employees. Yana and Ricardo. Mm-hmm. And maybe the security guards, too. Yeah. He said, the callous indifference of people who worked at the Apple Store who heard this crime happen and did not a blessed thing to stop it. Oh, yeah. They are literally going to live the rest of their lives hearing those noises in their Mm -hmm. sleep and wishing that they had said something. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy that they're going to live that torture. Dumbasses. Forever. Are you fucking kidding me? 
If I heard that, I'd be, I wouldn't be like, oh, let's go search around the building. I'd be like, dude, I think there's something happening next door. Something yeah. to figure well, that like, out. Well, like, maybe I would have searched around to see maybe. what was happening. But then once I realized I was definitely hearing screams, and if I got at all a gut instinct yeah. that, like, I should call the cops, I would have called the fucking cops. What's yeah. going to happen? They go over there and find out it is just horseplay? Okay, my bad. Sorry. I pulled the cops, you know what I mean, for yeah. nothing. I was But scared. at least, yeah. like, at least you did something. Mm-hmm. And you could say that you did something. Right. Exactly. Like, I 100% agree. I cannot believe that they were like, mm, it's probably just horsing around. Mm-hmm. And even though she had this gut feeling she should call the cops, she listened to him and she's like, mm, I don't want to look, you know. Yeah. I feel like she was like, I don't want to look like I'm over, like I'm being over dramatic right. or whatever. I don't want to uh, call him and look bad. So I'm just going to not say anything. Exactly. he's probably right. Mm. So now to this day, Brittany has never made any statements. Since her last day, well, I'm in not court. surprised. She's like, what's not, she gonna say? She's not gonna tell anybody anything, and I'm sure she has never even actually officially like confessed to it or told. She barely yeah. confessed to her brother. I mean, right. we heard what she said. Right. She didn't really say she did, but she didn't necessarily deny it. What she said was, "I don't know how it happened," right. which is a definitely an admission of guilt. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, right. she wasn't willing to actually like own up to her fucking yeah shit. Yep. So she's been in. Um, in prison since 2012, and she's never going to come out. So Good. she's 41 years old right now, and best of luck, Brittany. Or not. Or not. I mean, she... I, at one point, she was in the interrogation room asking when she was kind of, like, waiting. She had asked the female cop who came in there to sit with her if anything was going to happen to her in jail. Well, She yeah, was, like, maybe. worried. Yeah, she was, like, worried that she was going to, you know, get raped or killed or something in jail. And I'm like, well, maybe... <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe you deserve it. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is just, like, such a shit show. She um, is a horrible human being. A horrible person. And, you know, my book, too, um, it, it was really talking about different theories that, like, the question is why, right? right? Why? Yeah, why? And there's never been an answer, so the question is still why. But the main... Uh, kind of the main conclusion that people have come up with is that she's a sociopath. Yeah, I mean, it seems the most likely. I mean, she clearly had a history of theft and Mm -hmm. thievery, and she was selfish as fuck Mm -hmm. and vain Mm -hmm. and wanted this other job. And as Mm -hmm. soon as she realized that job might get taken from her, she Mm -hmm. was like, well... Not going to let that happen. And right. And she lost it. The but lack. then the, just the, yeah, the lack, the lack of, of fucking empathy. empathy and remorse for in, what she's done. In every situation. And how crazy she fucking went on Jaina mm-hmm. is just out, like, how the fuck, like, she was seeing red like nobody's ever seen red before. Like, how do Absolutely. you go that crazy on I somebody? I have no idea. And no, like, she's sitting there saying, please don't do it, whatever, whatever. Like, how do you have mm-hmm. zero, like, mm-hmm. zero, you, you feel yes. nothing? You're just, like, because you, you want a job as a personal you're just, like, trainer. so angry that mm-hmm. you're just going to go this wild and berserk and use multiple weapons. It's like not even five like she, to eight. Yeah, it's not even like she just used one thing. She used all kinds of different shit that she found around the store. And she would just keep going and getting stuff and coming back and, like, hitting her some more. Like, yeah, I have no how idea. How are you that That's angry? Insane. Like, that know. is just, she is psychotic. She is. Having no empathy for, you know, the breaking in of the house, the stalking of the boyfriend, the stealing from her teammates who she was really close with for three and a half years. And then lying to everybody. She also used to lie to everybody, by the way, and tell them that she graduated, even though she did not graduate. Yeah. Yeah. She just, 
she has very clear sociopathic She even lied tendencies. to the cops during an interview. Yes. I left it out because I wasn't sure if you were going to bring it up or oh, not. She said she but graduated. Yeah, she, she didn't. Yeah, she told the cops in an interview that she graduated. And, and they, she they already knew that she had She got kicked out. Yeah. I mean, dumbass. It's just like this bitch. Anyway, we the epitome of this bitch. Yes. I swear. We could talk about this forever. But All it's day. It's still why. I mean. Yeah. It, I think there's something mentally wrong with her. I think so too. But I'm glad that she didn't get that insanity no. uh, thing because she, no. She's, she's not necessarily insane. I don't think she's insane. Yeah. She's I think just she's just a sociopath. a sociopath. Yeah. She just has yeah. no fucking, like, remorse or feeling for anybody else. No consideration for anybody but herself. 100%. Clearly. She's so fucking selfish that she was trying to steal $100 yoga pants. What? Right? Just, just for what? Like, After she'd already gone over the limit at her other store, so she must have a shit like, ton of these she clothes. She clearly has a problem and doesn't know when to stop because yeah. she already, yeah, like went over the limit. Now she's at this store and she's at risk of losing her job and she's right. going to continue to try to steal. So kind of like what you just said too, she doesn't know where to stop. And with that yeah. murder, she didn't know. She, she had didn't. no stopping point. No, you she know? just kept going until like, and then seriously, you sat in her car for yeah. multiple hours. What? Just deciding what the fuck you were going to do? Mm-hmm. Yes, to protect herself. Yes, because who cares to cover about her own ass. And yeah. then being so conceited, she stuck around and continued to make up this story, try to make herself look like a victim, and then stayed in town so she could keep talking to the f- police because she thought that she had them so under her thumb mm-hmm. that she was never going to get caught because she was so fucking smart. 100%. Well, she wasn't really that fucking smart, was she? Nope, she's not. Now she's in jail forever. So not best of luck, Brittany. Just rot, no. rot in jail. Fuck you, Brittany Norwood. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go on to something happier. Okay. Uh, let's go to trivia. Trivia. <laughs> All right. So last week's question was, what nickname was serial killer Albert Fish given at the orphanage where he grew up? And that nickname was Ham and Eggs. So weird. Which is gross and weird and I don't get it. Um, so we had multiple correct answers this week. M underscore Randa 91, Lerman Ryan, Strawberry Cheesecake, Enter the Dark Podcast, Amber M. Cunningham, and Manda underscore Mayhem. Mahan. Okay. Hopefully cool. I said that correctly. Good job. Good job, guys. Yes. Also, I would like to announce that Strawberry Cheesecake and Amber M. Cunningham have both answered five correct questions. Woo! Yay! And you guys have um, prizes on the way. I tried yes. to mail them yesterday. I had ridiculous dental work done and did not have time. <laughs> so I will get that sent off ASAP. But yes, they are ready and they're on the way. All right. Congratulations. So, yes, congratulations. And, and thank, thank you. thank you for answering our trivia questions. Yes. We really appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Um, so with that being said... This week's question, which is actually trivia question number 13, and I can't believe that we're at 13 now. Gosh. So this week's question is, what true crime television show host lost a son to a serial killer? All right. Everybody? Yep. Answer, write in, write answer. In. Send us your requests yes. on cases. Um, a lot of people did the other day, and I've noted notated them all down. Um you will hear about them. They're just going to take a minute. But we've kind of, like, scheduled out our next, yeah. like, three-month worth of yes. uh, episodes. So um, don't get discouraged if you don't hear it right away. You know, we only do one a week, so it might take a minute. But, yes, we are going to cover all of them. Yes, we will. So and thank you so much. We will get to them. But, yes, thank you. Thank you for answering. We're so excited that everybody's actually been keeping up with the trivia and that 
Absolutely. Everybody's enjoying the podcast. Yeah. We love getting little messages from people saying we how do. much they love the podcast because yes. we've been getting a lot of those lately and they always make our day. They so. absolutely do. All right. Well, go to our webpage, um, don't get in the van podcast.com. And all of our streaming sources are there. You can just hop on to a streaming source. We're everywhere. We're yep, everywhere we you are. want to be. Everywhere. <laughs> uh, and if you do have a chance and you would like to, go ahead and rate or review us and always share. Yep. Share, share, share. Yes. So, as always, remember, don't, don't get, get in the van. van.